Welcome to the Silver Screen Guide Podcast. Join Corbin and Alan, along with guest hosts, as they bring their love for the cinema to discuss films from every genre and decade. Learn about the history of the film, little-known facts, and insightful explorations while they enjoy discussing your favorite film. The curtain is rising and your podcast is starting. So sit back, relax, and enjoy your guide to the silver screen. Welcome back, listeners, to the third and for now final installment in our Taken movie review series. Today we are reviewing Taken 3. This is your co-host, Corbin. And I'm Alan. I gotta say, Alan, I've never seen Taken 3. I honestly don't ever even remember seeing a trailer for this movie. It, and uh, it's it's been out for quite a while at this point. Yeah, uh, you would be forgiven um, not hearing about Taken 3. Uh, it's okay, because I hadn't heard about Taken 3 either um, until I had heard that Taken even had sequels. So, yeah. I can I can understand why people wouldn't even know that Taken Two was was a thing. So I would say you're forgiven for not knowing that Taken Three is a thing. And listeners, if you want to know um, behind the scenes, the production and whatnot, make sure to check out Alan's guide to Taken Three. That is the first link in the description below. And while you're down there, we do have timestamps. So if you just want to jump straight into the review, want to jump straight to our ratings and recommendations, you can do that. Timestamps are down there. And also we have links to all of our major podcast platforms. We're on all of them now. Links to our website, our Facebook and Twitter, our Patreon page where you can help us out financially and get some great bonus content that's yours as well. Then of course, if you're wondering what to listen to next, we have curated a selection for you in the description. And then if you want to know what's coming up next, the schedule is down there as well. So no matter where you're at, we greatly appreciate it. If you leave us a five-star rating and then just a small written review that really does help us show up in the rankings, boosts us in the rankings as well. And that's going to help us meet our 2021 goal of becoming verified critics on Rotten Tomatoes. So all of that and more in the description below. So make sure to check out down there. So Corbin, after seeing this trailer, does it, it still doesn't ring a bell? Like you haven't heard or seen anything? Because I know you said that, you know, you hadn't heard of Taken 3. Um, so maybe the trailer, I was thinking maybe the trailer would spark something like, okay, maybe I've seen something like it before or do you remember the trailer at all back in 2014 or 2015 yeah so i still i still don't remember the trailer at all even after seeing it i vaguely remember just seeing a poster of this movie okay. and saying oh they made a third one okay and that's my extent of that's my interest that's how far it went i should say i didn't go and investigate i didn't seek this one out whatsoever i don't ever remember it being streaming anywhere so going off of the trailer go back and listen to our reviews of the first two movies we have some interesting thoughts and we both kind of came to some different conclusions but mm -hmm. i gotta say just going off the trailer for taken three i'm a little more impressed than i was expecting i'll just say that because okay. I wasn't, okay, knowing just from what you kind of told me about this movie and watching Chris Duckman's review on it, I knew this movie had issues. But, you know, I think the trailer in some ways is very well cut together. I think there's some really intense shots 
Um, it does give away that uh, Lenny dies, which I didn't know that going in to this movie. I had no, when I went into this movie, I had no idea what this plot was even going to be about. But, you know, the action looks good. Um, it looks like Brian against the world, which is kind of fun. And it reminds me of a movie, a third installment that would come years later, John Wick 3. So the trailer's not looking too bad for me. Yeah, this trailer, this, this, I mean, this reminds me of those Mission Impossible movies, especially the more later installments. Oh, um, yeah. Where it's like, if you go down this road, you know, <laughs> are you sure you'll be able to come back from it or whatever? Like, I feel like we've seen that more than once. Now, this came out in 2014, so that wasn't, I guess, more of a trope than I guess it would be now. Because I think, what was it? Um, not Rogue Nation, but the one that came before that, Phantom uh, Ghost Protocol. That's the one. I know oh, Ghost yeah. Protocol kind of started the whole thing, right? Mm -hmm. um, but that aside, judging by what my thoughts were coming out of Taken 2, I would steer probably pretty far away from Taken 3, even after seeing this trailer, right? So I can't say that I would be very um, enthused or would really look into watching this because before my friend in college mentioned that, oh, yeah, it's totally a thing to me, which at the time it would have been just released, um, I had also not heard of it. So... Had I watched this and known about it back in the day, I was I didn't I watched it around the same time as these other two. But if I was in the know, I would have steered way clear of this judging <laughs> by what happened with Taken Two. Yeah, and I did get to watch the unrated cut, so I've seen the fullness of what is out there as far as it goes. I have not seen what was theatrically shown to audiences. But Alan, did you get to see both cuts? Have you seen them before? So I'm trying to remember what cut I watched back in college. I want to say it was the already. It was. It may have been the already cut, but my guess since it just came out, it was more likely the theatrical one. But for this review, I only had time to watch the theatrical cut. Um, but I did look up um, like what changes were with between the two versions. Um, so I at least know a little bit of like what to expect in the already cut but i didn't i watched the theatrical one for this review yep f words and blood that's all yep. i'm gonna say for now <laughs> pretty much <laughs> well listeners if you haven't seen taken three and you don't want the film spoiled for you go ahead and click pause right now go ahead rent the film buy it whatever you want to do go ahead and click play and then after you watch the film come back and click play here and we'll be ready to talk about it after being framed for the murder of his ex-wife, Lenore, Brian Mills goes into hiding. This comes at a very bad time, as the family just started to return what it once was many years ago. So using his skills he's picked up over the years, Brian is on the case to find out who really killed Lenore and why they framed him. He retreats to a safe house in the middle of a construction yard and lets his daughter Kim and friend Sam know of his current predicament. It doesn't take long for Brian to get one step ahead of the police. After downloading the GPS information from Lenore's car after it was impounded and searched by the police, Brian heads to into a suspicious gas station. Posing as an investigator, he has a look at the security footage. Sure enough, he sees a Nor Parker car and quickly get kidnapped. The police arrive and arrest Brian, but it doesn't take very long for Brian to then steal a cruiser and escape the police. Brian bugs Sam, who tells Kim to keep her predictable schedule at Lenore's funeral. Brian later meets up with Kim in a girl's restroom, where she tells him that Stuart is beginning to act a little bit weird. Brian then follows Stuart, who is headed to his Malibu hideaway house, where he's run off the road by a couple of men who kill the Noor. But this merely annoys Brian, and he magically emerges from the scene after the Russian men drive away and shows up at Stuart's place, anywho. 
Brian waterboards Stuart for answers, and he tells him that he made a deal with a man he could not keep named Malakov, and that he was the one who killed the Noor. And plan is then hatched with Brian, Stuart, Kim, and Sam to infiltrate Malakov's penthouse and to kill him over his involvement. Brian does just that, slaughtering the handful of bodyguards a powerful Russian has, and nearly kills Malenkov himself when Malenkov reveals the missing puzzle piece. You see, Stuart had Lenore killed because of the $12 million in insurance that he has on her, and he also wanted Brian to kill Malenkov so he could keep that money that he owed him. Stuart, on his last legs, grabs Kim and drives to an airport to hop on a plane never to be seen again. Brian floors a black Porsche and grounds the plane. He foils Stuart's plan and saves the day, Later, Brian meets with Inspector Frank Donsler. What kind of guy goes out for warm bagels and comes back and commits murder, Donsler says, letting Brian out the hook. In the end, Brian meets with Kim and Jimmy, her new boyfriend, and the same period taken to end it on with to talk about what they were going to do with their new baby as credits roll. Well, Alan, you know, I wasn't crazy about writing the plot for the first two movies because there's a lot that you could forget. I gotta say, <laughs> I don't envy you whatsoever of writing the plot for this one because this yeah. movie has a lot of moving parts. There's a lot that's going on and we'll get into it, but a lot of movies it's also trying to rip off. So it kind of switches gears of like which movie it's like trying to be quite often. It's a, a doozy of a plot to say the least. Yeah, absolutely. And I mentioned in before the spoiler section, I mentioned that, you know, this trailer kind of feels like um, it, it kind of feels like Mission Impossible, like the ones with Tom Cruise, like those newer movies that are that keep coming out every few years now. There's a, there's that feeling within those trailers. And I would say when it gets to like this ending scene where he's in Malakov's place, you really do get that same feeling, right? That, at least to me, it felt like it was trying to be something of a Mission Impossible film. But even then, right, the story here is, it's, um, it's <laughs> something. <laughs> it, uh, it goes in a lot of different, it goes in a lot of different, it goes a lot of different, down a lot of different routes um, that I wouldn't have necessarily expected out of a, uh, of a taken film. And I guess that's kind of my first positive. If you want to really want to consider that it at least like shakes up the formula a little bit with a taken film, you know, it at least doesn't have anything to do, whether it's a good thing or a bad thing. And we'll talk about it um, with the Albanians that pretty much were the entire last two films. It's has nothing to do with any of that. It's pretty much held within the family, more or less. It's like, I guess you can consider it like a family scuffle, but yeah, I guess that's my first positive is that at least it shakes up the formula a little bit because there definitely was one after that second movie. Yeah, I completely agree with you. I wasn't sure what to expect. I was worried that this movie would still try and continue the story from the first and second one, even though I felt like the second one wrapped it up, even though there is that hint that there, they, this guy has other sons. Murad has other sons that would still come after him. I really don't want to see that since that was essentially the entire plot of the second one. I don't want to see it rehashed. So that's really what I was surprised about is, yeah, they do kind of reinvent the franchise here at the third one and make it a completely different formula. Now, 
This is, you, you mentioned um, Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol, where they are disavowed. There's that, where they kind of have to bring in the crew. I do like that he finally gets to bring in his friends, that they actually do something for once. Mm-hmm. But the other movie that I'm thinking of is, this is, for the most part, a ripoff of The Fugitive with Harrison Ford. Yeah, no, yeah. you're absolutely right. I was waiting to, I was waiting to see who would bring it up first. Yeah, I'm like, I was sitting there with my wife and I'm like, where? <laughs> I was like, yep. why does this sound, why does this sound familiar? Where have I seen this before? Oh, wait. Yeah, it's, I mean, this isn't really a spoiler because this is the plot of The Fugitive, mm-hmm. but his wife is killed, I believe. And then he has to go on the run and Tommy Lee Jones character is hunting him down. Tommy Lee Jones is the marshal. Forrest Whitaker is just the cop here. And then I think about halfway through the movie when we have another high speed car chase, which ups the ante with like that crazy jackknifing truck. I thought, okay, we just switched gears into a fast and furious movie where it's really become this international type plot where it goes much deeper than you think. And then Mm -hmm. by the end of the movie, when he's like raiding the Russian's apartment, I thought, Oh my gosh, we just switched uh, gears again into Scarface. This is yep. the end of Scarface. <laughs> e- exactly. <laughs> Especially when Malenkov is over the railing and shooting at him. Yeah. yeah, that's most definitely taken from Scarface. Exactly. And then after that, when he steals that Porsche and drives it down the runway, that's the end of the movie Bad Boys. Even with a Porsche and everything, I'm like, wait a minute. So, yeah, this is a conglomeration of a lot of movies. It's essentially just straight ripping up, ripping, not ripping up, ripping off (laughs) a lot of movies. But at least it does it with some style. At least they're just going to go go big or go home. I think they go big with this one. This movie's pretty over the top. Yeah, yeah, it it (laughs) most absolutely is. And... Uh, it's one of those things where it's kind of hard. This is where it becomes hard, right? Because when when we talk on the podcast, right, we do positives and then negatives first. And sometimes, <laughs> and this has yet to happen in at least this newer format that we have, where a film starts to wrap itself back around and all the things that are, you know, not really that good are just absolutely incredible when you yes. look at it in hindsight, right? Yes. So... Brian Mills is some kind of magician because there are multiple moments in this movie where he just will show up in a scene for no reason um, (laughs) except to somehow propel the plot forward. For a a great example is one of my favorite moments in this movie is when they impound both of their vehicles, right? And Brian just magically pops out of the trunk from his own car. And then hops in Lenore's car, grabs all the GPS information from it, and then scurries away before anybody else notices. Like, you see him pop the trunk and exit his own car. Somehow, this man is a magician and is able to just insert himself into scenes or somehow escape from a scene, like when his car is run off the road, um, unscathed, no problem at all, and hardly give an explanation as to why. Yeah, there's... Yeah, there's a lot of, you know, what the fudge moments <laughs> in this movie yep. where and, you know, I watched it with my wife and it was pretty fun to watch together because, yeah, I mean, you just mentioned we get to run off the road. You got to be dead and 
No, magically, it shows him sliding out under the car somehow. And mm -hmm. when he infiltrates Stuart's house, you know, he like they hear the door open up or something. And then in the next shot, he has already descended the staircase silently, I might add. And he has a gun to Stuart's head. And I'm just like, yep. you just keep popping up everywhere. And, you know, I think the first one probably is how does he know to go to that person's garage and there's like a old well or something that's been covered over into the sewers. Yep. They don't explain it in the movie, but my guess is, Hey, it's Brian. He's got to know his local surroundings if he needed to make a quick escape. Um, but I got to say, I think this movie starts off with maybe a little more intrigue because we're starting off with characters we've never seen before with this Russian character and they just kill this random guy and his wife's getting ready. And this is like, okay, I'm actually kind of curious here because this is something we really haven't seen. And then of course, you know, once he's framed, there is this big chase through the LA suburbs, which I found to be fun. Even if the editing is like one edit per second, it's just <laughs> really crazy. Um, and then it does end with a, actually a pretty good wide shot of him coming out of the sewer. So once again, I think this movie kind of looks good. Not as good as the last one, but the editing is just insanity. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I remember when I first watched this movie, I went back and watched, oh, uh, what scene was it? I think I remember now. It was the scene when he drives the cop car down the elevator shaft. Um, oh my I gosh, went back that was and crazy watched, too. Yeah. I went back <laughs> and I watched a portion of it. I think it was no more, I think it was about 30 seconds long. And I counted how many cuts there were. There were over a yeah. hundred in a Whoa. 30 second, or maybe it was a minute long, but still it was an insane amount of, <laughs> of cuts in a very short amount of time. Now, granted it was an action scene. So, you know, it, it's going to naturally have more quick cuts, but they were so jarring and it's the same with the last movie where the editing is just kind of insane. I noticed this when I, when I watched it, this, when I watched it for the first time, you know, just how often it was. And I didn't know how often it really was until I went back and just found a small scene, that action scene and counted how many times the, it had cut from one shot to another in this action scene. It's an insane amount. Um, like you, like you said, the, the editing and the editing in both these movies, but this one especially is just absolutely bonkers. Yeah. And the one scene that I remember is when he's just trying to get over the fence and we have like yep. <laughs> 12 different cuts of him just climbing, going over and yep. falling over the fence. It's really insane. And I did that too with my wife. We're sitting there and I just started counting one, two, three, four. Every time it was cut, I couldn't even keep up. Yep. It was so it, it many. It goes by so fast, yeah. And yep. these are two different editors from the previous two movies. This is edited by two people, once again, and they've never edited this movie before. So take that you know, from what you will. <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, honestly, I, I couldn't really tell that there was a difference in editors. Yeah, that's true. Which isn't a good thing. No, unfortunately not. But- yeah. I am also surprised this movie is at least subverting my expectations because although it's formulaic in the sense of copying the formulas of other movies, or at least the plot structure of other movies, we mentioned the sewer escape scene. There's a sewer escape scene in the fugitive as well. Mm -hmm. So it's really just cribbing off of them straight up. Um, but I got to say, I was actually really surprised that Lenny died. 
because I did not know that. I didn't watch the trailer going in. That re- that one really got me and subverted my expectations. Now, Stuart being the bad guy, on the other hand, is telegraphed to the extreme. Like, it's yep. wildly obvious. But um, I don't know. What do you think of hit? this puts a whole new spin on Taken because she's not just physically taken. She's like taken forever from him in right. this life. Right. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I do agree. I think that, you know, to an extent, of course, um, the, how they subvert our expectations by killing off Lenore pretty early on in the film. I mean, that, that's like the whole driving factor for this movie to you know get started. That is an interesting idea, right? Because now it's always been about the family, right? Taken has always been about the family, right? And repairing, trying to, re- and mostly with Brian's pursuit, especially in that first movie, to try and repair what he broke because of his job, right? He wants to get his family back to what they were before. And so now we have a film where they, it's almost to that level, right? Where they have, huh, I would say, a bit too close of an encounter um, when she comes over for dinner that one time, but she ends up leaving after, they're being there for no more than 30 seconds. But you get that feeling that things are starting to become normal again, right? And so it does open up the door for an interesting story or at least an interesting, you know, an interesting exploration with Brian's character when Lenore is killed off, right? The one of the big things that was left for him to repair um, is now gone, right? <laughs> does open the door for some interesting stuff. It is a subversion of expectations. I guess I can't necessarily say it's a bad thing, um, not wholly at least, but it is at least, you know, moving the story forward in a better way than what we've seen before, where it's not super formulaic, but right. it's something, right? Yeah, I will say having Stuart come, well, first of all, he's like, oh, Stuart, come in. I'm like, Stuart, who's Stuart? Like, mm-hmm. have we seen this character before? Well, he's been recast. This right. isn't the same guy at all from the first one. And this is kind of seemingly like fan fiction territory for me here, where it's just really out of left field that Stuart is actually the bad guy. And because never, ever got that from the first one whatsoever. This one just seems like, you know, very fan fiction-y. Like I said, what if, oh my gosh, what if Lenore's husband's like jealous and he creates this like mastermind plot. He gets involved with the Russians and this. It's really crazy. It's really unexpected. Um, it's strange, but honestly, at this point, I'm just like, <laughs> whatever. I'm just yeah. going to go with it. I am not going to worry too much about whether he would, whether the Stuart character from the first one would actually do this or not. So, and I don't, I don't re- care that he's recast. Honestly, sometimes I care about that stuff. I don't care here. Um, mm-hmm. Also, one of Brian's friends is recast back to the original actor because he was recast in the second one, and now he's the original person again, which I just kind of find to be hilarious. That is interesting. I mean, there's only like what one or two sh- very short scenes in the second movie with the with his friends, anyways. Yep. Yeah. So i I wouldn't be I would be surprised if you really actually noticed that without looking at IMDb. Sure. Yeah. yeah, you know, also, I think it was a good idea to put Forrest Whitaker in this movie, or at least someone that is somewhat well known, that has mm-hmm. somewhat good acting skills that could kind of be the counterpoint to uh, Brian, who's going rogue. And Whitaker is someone we know, he's not, it's not quite Tommy Lee Jones, but he's someone that 
I think he's doing probably doing the best with what he's given here, even though I think his characterization is kind of he's going like a little too method where you see like shots with him playing with the rubber band. Like I'm I'm guessing he probably brought some of this into the character that really wasn't there in the script. Um, and it's the same people writing the script once again. So it's not new mm -hmm. writers. It's the same writers across the whole trilogy. But um, I think at times Forrest Whitaker is kind of good, but at times I think he's also like unintentionally hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. He very much is a character that is very cliche where it's like this private, this is an investigator who has something that makes him tick, right? It's either that rubber band that he's always messing with, or it's that, <laughs> that chess piece that he's always messing with, right? Something yeah. that just makes him tick, right? Which we've seen like a billion times. Um, but they don't really do much with it here. Like they kind of show it off maybe. And that's really about as far as it goes. It's not anything that uh, it's, it feels like it's hardly even a character trait. Like it's just like him just like fiddling with something as he's thinking. Right. Yeah. That's what it feels like. But yeah. yeah, that aside, Forrest Whitaker's character, um, he has probably one of my favorite lines. And I, I mentioned it in the plot summary because it was just so amazing. And I'm going <laughs> to pull up the full line because I have it written down. Uh, here it is. One of the last things he says in this entire movie, and we I, and he eyes that bagel for like three or four scenes, right? Oh my um, gosh. Because, <laughs> because the bagels hold the answer, the bagels hold the truth. Um, he says, and I quote, I knew from the beginning it was the bagels. They were warm. I had to ask myself, what kind of guy goes out for warm bagels and, come and comes back and commits murder? And it's played completely straight. And that's the greatest line in this entire movie. Oh, yeah. I wrote the same line down, too, because, I, you know, you just watch him. He's meticulous. He is just fascinated by these bagels, even mm -hmm. though it's just honestly hilarious. And I, I put that in my notes. So I'm like, oh, now he's always eating bagels because he's getting into the mind of the killer. And it's just honestly hilarious. I can't believe it. And, yeah, I've got a whole section of everything that's like so bad it's good it's just so funny and that's one of the por portions in there uh it's just out of this world but um yeah he, he does okay yeah. but um you know one of my last positives is um okay there's two of them so Stuart actually helping them is kind of a twist but then he double crosses them which is kind of like of course, I. what else would I have expected? Of course, he's going to double cross them, you know. Um, but then right. when the right. when um, Neeson is uh, driving that Porsche and they just see him coming, like he's like relentless, like he's not going to stop. And you think the plane's about to take off. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, is he going to use the Porsche to take out the legs of the plane? I like squeezed mm -hmm. my wife's hand and I'm like, oh, my gosh, just bracing for impact. Um, like I said. Go big or go home. They went big. Yeah, he takes out the, the which is a total like fast and furious move, but he used the oh, Porsche yeah. to take out the legs of the plane. And I was like, oh yeah, that's, yes, that's, that's what I wanted. <laughs> yeah. So I do want to talk about Stewart's character. We, we kind of talked about him here and there, but I do kind of want to talk about Stewart's character and mostly his plan. Um, right. Because, so what happens is, okay, so... He and Lenore both have $12 million in insurance, like health insurance, right? So, and he owes a lot of money to Melon Kav, as I mentioned in the plot summary. So he has Lenore killed to get that money. 
and then was going to frame Brian so then he would, you know, rope him into killing Malenkov so he could keep the $12 million. That way he can get rid of Malenkov and then the debt he owes him and be a bit more richer than he is now, right? Right. Okay. <laughs> Fine. Fair enough. Okay. Except for one small problem. The the idea of killing your wife for the health insurance is wildly cliche, not just like in like movie tropes, but it's wildly cliche if you like watch like a show like Forensic Files. Like how many episodes are there where the killer ends up being the husband because the wife had a really good health insurance, right? Or something like that, right? You know, how often do you see that in like crime shows, um, especially more reality ones? Like that's kind of silly to me. That feels like a really like more like more of a weak setup. Now, of course, I take it much farther because it's a film. And then he has this whole, you know, he has an art. It's a Russian guy who has a, a lot of bodyguards and he's really, you know, he's really high up there, really powerful. But what this part starts off with is it's health insurance. It just it's a really cliche thing to have in a film right th- like this. Although, to be fair, and if I'm like this, it's about on par. <laughs> yeah, I will say it is a letdown when you find out that was his ultimate motivation to have mm-hmm. Lenny killed is just to get her life insurance policy in order for him to pay off his debts. And you already explained it. Um, I was really surprised by that. That's disappointing to me because that is so weak, like you said. I mean... There's this movie, Alan, that I've really been wanting us to watch together for a long time, Double Indemnity. Mm-hmm. This is essentially the plot of Double Indemnity, is getting the husband dead so they can use the life insurance money to run off together. Um, it's a fantastic movie, listeners. If you haven't seen Double Indemnity, check it out. But at the same time, th- and that movie is pretty old. So it's not like this was just thought up recently. This is a very cliche cr- crime type plot, especially when it comes to d- a death of a spouse or something. Um, right. It happens a lot. I mean, I wish I could pull up more examples. Um, yeah, there's a play called Death of a Salesman. Um, gosh, there's there's other ones. You just come across it so often where it's like, that's funny. They... They increased their life insurance policy by $3 million the day before they died. Mm-hmm. This is so strange. Yeah, we get it. Um, so I'm very let down by that. Um, Stuart's character in general is really convoluted. And I would say it goes, this plot goes to great lengths to just convolute his storyline to keep us yeah. in the dark. Uh, at yeah. first, at first they telegraph that. He is setting Brian up. And then all of a sudden, once Brian waterboards him, we're on his side because we think, oh, I mean, unless, I mean, that's what at least they want us to think. It's pretty clear to figure out. Mm -hmm. Uh, But then you think, oh, well, actually, he's not that bad. Uh, Twist, he actually is bad. And so, yeah, this movie has like a couple different climaxes, multiple twists. It's just crazy, but I kind of love it for that that yeah it's going to take something so cliche and it's going to make it like super complex yeah and i yeah you bring up a good point right because they don't really explain um much of stewart's 
like its machinations, I guess I should say. They don't really right. explain anything like uh, any of that, right? It, it does get to a point where when they do start explaining that, you know, it's something like this life insurance and what all, and it's this and that, where it's just like, you know, they don't, because they don't explain it very well, it's just like, wait, what? And then when they gets to the point where Brian is an infiltrating Malenkov's place, right? And then he kill, almost kills Malenkov. I think he just leaves him to die. Then that's where things just go off the rails, right? Um, oh, yeah. Where all of a sudden Stewart just all just switches to a different character. Now he's the evil bad guy. He's a, he, he's basically taking Malakov's place, right? And that's where things just go off the rails. It's it's very convoluted, and because they don't explain it, it's almost whiplash inducing with where Stewart's character goes. Because he starts off like he's kind of on our side, and, and then kind of suspicious, but then he is on our side, but he's not on our side, and then he's really not on our side. It. It goes everywhere with this character, which is, like you said, at the same time, I don't know how much I would like it any other way because it is because this movie, what this movie really is. Yeah. And even like how he involves Lenny is very confusing as well, Mm -hmm. because there is something at the end where Kim gets a text that pops up from her mom's phone. And that that was a text that. Uh, Stuart used Brian's phone to send to Lenny. That explains why she went to the gas station. And then at the same time, she wanted to see him to go get bagels, but then she was found dead at his house. And just the lengths that Stuart goes to as well, which of course is ridiculous that Stuart is able to use Brian's phone, which I think is a flip phone, and send a text like at that length. In that short of a period of time, and we don't see any of it, it's really hard to believe a lot of this stuff. But even that becomes really convoluted as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess Stuart goes to jail at the end. Um, I guess, yeah. Which, I mean, is kind of a letdown because in all the other movies, um, our character Brian Mills has been relentless. He has killed all of the bad guys. None of He's mm-hmm. not let any of them live. But for Stuart, he just says, I will find you, and we both know what happens next. I'm like, what? No, that was a huge letdown as well, because he's like, I will find you. I'm like, yeah, bring it home, bring it home. And I will, I guess he won't kill him. We just know what happens next. So, Mm -hmm. wasn't too pleased about that. Um, The one thing that I will say, where it's kind of a positive and a negative, is in a plot, you never want to be ahead of your main character. Especially, you know, as long as that main character is your subject. So, we never uh, realize, we learn the information along with Brian, which is a good thing because you don't want to, like, have the revelation and then your main character is playing catch-up because then you'll be bored. But then at the same time, there's a lot left open-ended for about two-thirds of this movie. We don't know who these Russian guys are that are going Mm -hmm. after him. We still don't know Stuart's true motivations and um it all kind of comes down to the uh, malibu house i would say i i don't know if he's in malibu no anyways i don't know why i called it that but that <laughs> his um his house where he gets Stuart and he waterboards him that's where i would say we are like kind of finally able to catch up with some stuff but i like that we don't know the information before brian but at the same time i'm really confused on Stuart's motivation, this r- nameless, seemingly nameless Russian guy, and then these other Russian guys that are just trailing him, and they have this really bloody fight at the liquor store. Mm-hmm. 
you know, I'm wondering how much of this plot is really changed by Brian's actions, right? Because at the end of the story, when um, Dotsler figures it out, right? The bagels hold the truth, right? <laughs> when he figures it out, um, and he, he says that quote of what kind of a man goes and buys bagels and then comes back and commits murder, right? It, it makes me question like, okay, well, if he figured that out, which wasn't prompted by, um, which wasn't prompted by Brian at, Harvey at all, you know, how much would, how much evidence would there be to let Brian off scot-free if he didn't do what he did, which is like beat up those cops who try to arrest him at the scene of the crime and just let them arrest him and then let the evidence do the talking, right? How much of that, how much would Brian have gotten away if he just had not done what he did, which is beat up those cops and let the evidence, what was there, you know, make him show that it's that he's actually innocent in which case how much of the story is really worth telling if that's the case right how much of it is really even brian's doing if that's the case outside of maybe exposing stewart's you know stewart's plan the whole time which who knows would have been exposed if they had you know done the investigation and found the evidence toward it right yeah that's actually something my wife immediately brought up was he seems to be making things worse. He's causing, seemingly mm -hmm. causing more problems than if he would have just worked with them because they probably could have gotten protective custody or something from the Russians. Now, of course, the movie would have been really boring. And yeah, yeah, but you're right. Um, there, there is that certain point where Forrest Whitaker's character is like, I never really thought he was the bad guy. I don't really know why he's running, though. Um, I mean, I like that line. I think it's in the trailer where he's like, where's your priority? And Whitaker's like, to bring you in. And he's like, well, my priority is to, to protect Kim. So I like how mm -hmm. it kind of brings itself back around to the first one is now all he has is his daughter to protect. Even he is hunted. There's some really crazy stuff going on right at home. But nevertheless, yeah, it doesn't need to take out those cops um and cause this huge issue uh lots of lots of death and destruction because of it <laughs> but oh right. well it wouldn't be a taken movie without that i suppose right yeah there's a bit of a problem where i'm trying to remember there's a movie we did recently oh it was tom and jerry that's right Don't where the main character or the and i guess you could call him the main character in tom and jerry it was arguably kayla i think was her name um, there's something to be said where you have a movie where you, the main character has hardly any impact on like the plot. Um, like Brian, I would argue has more than what happened in Tom and Jerry with Tom and Jerry. Um, but it's like, yeah, how much is he like making things worse? Right. How much if his, if he didn't, you know, if he didn't act um on when the cops caught him um how much uh pain would he or how much yeah how much pain would he have been able to save um you know just by letting the cops do what they're supposed to do and take him in right yeah there's something to be said about that where and i know that uh there's something to be said about something like that where it just feels like the character has you know very little on the outcome at the very end of the story when he's let off the hook 
Yeah, while that is true, I think we could potentially look at it in a positive way as well. Because Brian is always, I know people don't like it in movies when our hero is kind of like perfect. He can just do everything. He's invincible. This goes to show you that Brian is still able to be manipulated, that he's not perfect because this is exactly what Stuart wanted was to manipulate him into running from the cops. He would be framed. The whole other subplot of the Russians trying to take Brian out and get him out of the way just feels like really shoehorned in there or like needlessly messy. Just like that's like, uh, no, you're, you're really packing on too much here at this point. But nevertheless, mm -hmm. this is very surprising because Brian has always been, you know, one step ahead of the game. He's always been able to figure everything out, whereas he immediately reacts to Lenny's death in probably the wrong way. And so he's been manipulated into doing all of this bad stuff and causing all of these problems. So in some ways, I kind of like that, that by the third movie, our character, maybe he's getting older and he just doesn't know what to do uh, quite so much as he would in the previous sequels. But yeah, I mean, of course, the movie doesn't really play into that whatsoever mm -hmm. that's just me realizing that and bringing that up but i guess in some ways i kind of like that brian thinks he's doing the right thing but at the same time he's also being manipulated without realizing it yeah no that that is a good that's a good point you bring up and i i do wish that they would have gone some down that route because it's actually interesting you know where this character is getting older and while you know he's worked for the government and you know is more or less an assassin for them or a preventer if you want to call it that from the first movie um yeah they don't really dive too deep into things like that they only want to show off his skills right they don't they're not really they're the filmmakers are not really um looking to grow his character in any i guess emotional way um they're just trying to play with what he's been given the skills he's been he's been given since the first movie and really play those up. That's the biggest thing. But I would think it would be very interesting and honestly would make for a more, for, more fulfilling movie if they had gone down a route like that where Brian makes a mistake and puts his family at maybe even at more risk or um, has because of his mistake, he's split apart his family again and now he has to go back and repair it, right? Something like that. If they played that, something like that, maybe we would have had a film um, maybe a bit more fulfilling and not what we have here which is uh, getting to, if not already surpassed it by this point, so bad that it's good. Yeah, if you want a movie that goes along that route, I definitely recommend The Usual Suspects. Yeah. Um, there's a reason that one was nominated for an Oscar for writing. But, okay, one of the themes that, that I could only find in this movie that I want to get into just briefly is the cycle mm -hmm. of life. How Kim is having a baby and oh yes she is this okay this has no impact on the movie whatsoever aside from she's just growing up and she's scared or whatever um but a granddaughter will be born a new life will come into this world as the wife is taken away um they're trying to play into this whole cycle of life thing because um kim it starts with kim you know and the baby and then it ends with her name is kim right mm -hmm. okay yeah kim is the daughter's name in 24 also so i was kind of getting confused oh, okay. but 
Um, and then it ends with that really dumb scene on the boardwalk. Like, if it's a girl, we want to name it after mom. And then if it's a boy, we'll... And he's like, I would like that. Thanks, Kim. That's the end of the franchise right there. Yep. Pull out with the same shot. <laughs> that's love. I love that's how it ends. But yeah, no, you're right. Uh, they do play with that cycle, that cycle of violence or not cycle of violence. They do play <laughs> with that cycle of life and death. You're correct. Um, it's pretty light. And once again, it's something just like last movie where uh, Kim, what was the last movie? It was, it was a boyfriend. That's what it was. She has a boyfriend. Um and it caused no impact on anything of the plot except to make things longer. Um, and then wraps on the end, and still nothing really has changed except Dad's accepted that she has a boyfriend now. She's growing up. Fine, whatever. Um, this is the same story here. Kim is pregnant. Doesn't want to tell Dad. Tells him in the worst time possible in the (laughs) middle of the ladies' bathroom. He's being you know he's trying to be covert. Um, yeah, but has little to do with the plot. Um, when it, it's all said and done, maybe a thematic kind of a thing, but that's about it outside of connecting that that with another scene, which when it connects to the rest of the story, it doesn't. So, no, you're right. They're kind of, it's that somewhat of a formula here. I know that I said that, you know, they at least are trying to get away from that kind of a thing, but it's still most definitely here. It's just playing with it in a way that makes it seem like it's not as formulaic as it really is. Yeah. And I guess she doesn't have any more issues because we talked about that one, like pretty much dropped, dropped line in the second one about how she wants to feel normal, even if she's just pretending. Well, now she's been intimate with a man and she's going to give birth to a child. No intimacy issues, even though being sold into sex slavery. And we understand she was still a virgin by the end of that movie and supposedly the second one. But yeah, I mean, what does Kim do here? I mean, he's like, hey, I want you to help me out again. She had better things to do in the second one than in this one. Yeah. You know, she had she had like actual stuff to do in the second one. It wasn't like the thing for her to go after and save that was Lenore that time. Um, after a certain point. But no, you're right. She had way more to do in the second movie than she did in the third one. In the third one, she's... I'm trying to think of what she does. She doesn't really do much. She kind of gives him um, directions or whatever you want to call it when they get to Malenkov's place, but... So yeah, what? she really she really doesn't because his other friend who he always calls like that's like his favorite, I guess, in the friend group. He's the mm. one doing all of it. And he's like, Kim, I need you to stay here on the microphone and like help me out. I'm like, what a baby job. Like, this is what you like yep. give your child to do to pretend like they're helping. It seems like um, she says in the at least in the unrated cut, she says a bunch of F words in one scene. Oh, I think I know what you're seeing you're talking about. Um, yeah, I, I saw that in when I was looking at the differences. It just comes out of nowhere. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, she says like five or six F words, which is really unexpected to hear from her. Um, right. Yeah. And, you know, the movie, like their kind of story opens up with him buying his daughter a pant, like a giant panda bear. Yep. And I'm like, is he getting dementia? Because I, I can understand the karaoke machine for her 17th birthday, especially because right. he just moved to Los Angeles. He's been out of her life for a long time. And they kind of set up his memory of her that way. But this is just stupid. This is like, are you slipping in your old age? Like, what? <laughs> and then he takes it back. And then um, Lenny is like, so she didn't like the panda, I take it. Like, they talked about it together or something. Yeah. <laughs> yep. 
And like it's like, and we've seen this for what the past three movies, and the first one makes sense, right? Yeah, that he, his daughter's growing up, given the they given the circumstances, his daughter's growing up, getting to almost to the age of adulthood, and then all of a sudden she's holding to this heinous um, sex slavery, right? Mm-hmm. Which he saves her from. Makes sense, you know. It, so treating her somewhat of like somewhat like a kid because she is still a kid to him makes sense, right? Somewhat the same thing in the second movie. She's growing up, and he has to kind of accept that. And maybe, he, I mean, I would have thought that he would have accepted it then when she gets a boyfriend. It's the same thing all over again here. He has to try, he's trying to, he wants to give her a big panda, big stuffed panda, because she's almost her birthday. Um, but of course, she's like totally in college and it's totally weird, dad. So <laughs> it's like, yeah, when it comes to that arc, at the end, does he finally learn that she's grown up? Or is this like similar thing going to happen later on next year or something? Yeah, it's a really strange arc that they, for whatever reason, keep bringing up. I I don't understand it. I have no idea why they even introduced it into the movie again. I mean, it is kind of funny during that scene because the boyfriend comes in. He's like, oh, is this a father-daughter moment? I don't want to interrupt. And then he just goes into this weird monologue about her picking the fourth or fifth yogurt from the mm-hmm. back and talking about her uh, schedule of course this pays off perfect writing alan i'm telling you set it up Air in the tight. first act pay it yeah pay it off so um yeah because it's fu- yogurt yeah golf's yogurt at the funeral um at the funeral when she's staring into that guy's button and having a moment with his button which is just mm-hmm. downright hilarious it's, it's a video camera but um they say stick to your stick to your schedule or something like that and then it's the yogurt and then there's something on the yogurt that leads her to go to find him at the school it's like drink me immediately and once she does um, my wife cracked up at this part because the guy uh, running the place says poor kid drink it straight from the fridge must have been thirsty and my wife just started cracking up yep Yep. Somehow, Dad slipped in some drugs. He drugged his own daughter. Oh so yeah, she yeah, that's sick. Right. Yeah. So he could meet up with her in the bathroom. That's kind of convoluted, isn't it? Like oh, it is. she has to stick to her schedule. She has to drink the yogurt. She gets sick. She goes to the bathroom. Hopefully, I'm go. Hopefully, I'm in the exact same bathroom or go to the right one when she does do this <laughs> in a certain period of the day. Kind of convoluted. I feel. I love the school scene. I love it. Because yeah. he's like, oh, yeah. he's like, be careful, Kim. This cop is really smart. Okay. And then, mm-hmm. um, yeah, you learn, he learns that she's pregnant. He's really disturbed by that. And then there's another cop tracking her through the school and he's taking the longest time to get to the bathroom. It's taking forever. And then it all goes, it all goes crazy because, um, the cop kicks in the stall while, with Kim sitting on the toilet, not just, pretending to sit on the toilet you can see she's pulled her underwear down i don't know why she went that far with it and then you see um brian just running through the school pulling pulling up grenades once again grenade throws a grenade through the closet and i just love the shots of like forrest whitaker and the cops just like just chucking it down the hallways just booking it and then the Mm -hmm. alarm the uh sprinklers go off and there's this part uh, we rewound it a couple times where you just hear this scream you don't see who's screaming but it's just people running and the scream lasts for about like four or five seconds and it's just oh no <laughs> it's hilarious 
<laughs> it is a yeah, wide no, shot of the scream. <laughs> yeah, no, that 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 school scene is amazing. Um, oh, the one where he steals the police cruiser. That's one of my favorites of all time. Oh, yeah. Because he what happens is he he is able to um, overpower the guy who's currently driving and pull the car into oncoming traffic. All right. Uh-huh. Okay. Makes sense. Um, and then after he causes a wreck, cars just keep coming and they just keep running into things and no one's stopping. It's the greatest thing on earth watching as cars just <laughs> won't, as if they're like blind, right? They're just keep going at 60 miles an hour, just running into each other. And like this, like 18, 20 part car pileup partially caused by a semi, <laughs> um, is just in the middle of this highway. It's amazing. Yeah. We talked about how there's like, um, usually if you're, if you drive straight into a like a medium like a divider you're gonna just mm-hmm. straight up crash somehow he just like it turns into the delorean and he just like flies over it oh perfectly, yeah. <laughs> and then he just keeps going and yeah um of course they got to rip off batman begins too with the whole um chase through the car garage up the uh, yep. car garage loop and then when he backs it into the elevator shaft and the thing just like straight up blows up uh yeah my wife was like well he's dead He's done. This is the end of the movie. And it's just like you mentioned earlier, there's many times where it's like, well, you're dead. And mm-hmm. somehow he's not. And that explosion through the car um, car garage is like huge. It's not yeah. little. It's huge. Yeah, that's that was I remember when I was watching this in college and he crawled out of the elevator shaft. Totally fine. Unscathed. <laughs> I saw that. and I was like, this movie's amazing. This movie's amazing. This movie is absolutely incredible. Yeah. I can't believe what I'm watching right now. Yeah. And of course, I was getting like a little bit of like Breaking Bad vibes because he just so happens to have an underground super lab where he's able to do mm-hmm. all this stuff. And that that whole scene is funny as well. Um, I was also cracking up with the police briefings that they have, which are just exposition, like very meaningless exposition dumps for us where... Um, Whitaker's character is repeating he repeats the words nothing three times and then he says it's right there it's right there and then he repeats the words private security international like three or four times and he has like mug shots for all of them even though these guys are like black ops I just don't know where this stuff is coming from and one of the last things I thought was just so funny is the these like flashbacks we get uh, between Melenkov oh, yeah. and Stewart, like, and they're just like, like laughing and holding cash, and they're just like throwing the money around. I'm like, yeah. oh my gosh, we're 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 here, we're here. There is a deleted scene. Um, I didn't watch the whole thing because it was so boring. But oh. there's a deleted scene. It's when they're telling. Um, it's when Stewart's telling the story of Melenkov. How you know he was in the Russian army, or you know whatever that whole backstory that he tells. Totally pointless. Doesn't really matter for the whole film. But there is a weird scene that's seven minutes long that is essentially an entire infiltration scene with Malenkov infiltrating some camp thing or whatever. It's seven minutes. I didn't watch the whole thing. Mm. I watched maybe like the first like couple minutes and was like, this is incredibly boring. How long is this? <laughs> it was seven minutes long. I was like, no way. I'm out of here. <laughs> so, yeah, no. And even the character of Malenkov himself he's introduced at the beginning, right? And then he just completely disappears 
for almost the entire runtime until like the last like 30 minutes. And yep. when we do reintroduce him, he's pointing a sniper at just two random ladies playing tennis yeah. and stuff. <laughs> it's it's amazing his reintroduction to this movie. Yeah, and he's he's mostly a red herring for the most part. Like he yeah. is a problem, but he's really kind of the false villain at the end, unfortunately. Which I guess is kind of I'm kind of glad because we don't have any relationship to him whatsoever or any understanding. So I wouldn't be I wouldn't be happy if that's just how the movie ended. So I'm glad it at least wraps back around to Stuart. But um mm -hmm. you know, we've kind of talked about it here, but the logic of the movie is just so crazy. Because uh when you brought up earlier when he snuck out of the trunk to get the GPS from Lenny's Audi. I guess her car creates a geotag or whatever every time she makes a stop. I don't know if that's real or not. I don't I wouldn't think it is. But yeah, and then he just is able to go to the gas station because he just magically gets it from where her car is driven to. And then he just asks the people like, hey, I'm, I'm a detective. I need to look at the footage. They're like, oh, mm -hmm. sure, sure. Come back on in and just look at it. And then, of course, he does the zoom and enhance thing on the Russian right. guy's hand tattoo. Oh, it's just crazy. Yeah. And somehow with zoom and enhance, just like the first one, he's able to find out, you know, you know, that never does. That never really does really come back until what? See, who is it? It's. I guess he kills him mm, at the liquor store when he's what's that? Oh yeah, you're right. It is the liquor store. That's right. That's when he kills him. Yeah. But you know, that's another thing too. This movie likes to just spawn um, action scenes out of thin air. Yeah. Just like they're absolutely nothing. Like there's a scene after, after he gets done with the whole um, doing the police cruiser bit. Not long after that, like it kind of settles down for a little bit. And then another one just sparks out of nowhere. And there are another chase scene in the city. Um, this and that happens more than once. Things like action scenes just begin just seemingly out of nowhere. And it's kind of amazing how it's kind of amazing how they just like force things to happen in the story. Right. Even if it doesn't make any sense at all, like with Brian's character, he just magically will show up in the scenes like in the in the trunk of his car after being impounded by the police. No idea how he got there, but he needs to be in the scene. So we're going to somehow they force his character into it, even if it makes no sense at all. Yeah, there's a lot of action. It's essentially nonstop action, I would say, where almost every scenario that every scene he gets in, there's going to have to be some kind of a confrontation. It's crazy. Mm -hmm. And the unrated cut is very violent and it it's not like um cgi blood really that was added back in you could tell they put like squibs or some kind of prosthetics in to really make this right. brutal actually i was really surprised um i don't know how it is in the theatrical cut but that russian guy pulls brian's gun into his mouth and shoots himself with it right in the unrated cut it's really violent yeah i know from what i understood from what I saw of the differences, the action is pretty much the same. I'll give it this. At least it's not as bad as last time where like you had to watch the unready cut to get the whole story. And oh. even then it was still confusing, but at least yeah. that isn't the case here. It sounds like uh, it's just that it's more or less just more violence, mm -hmm. but that the violence that is shown is more or less the same because yeah, he does grab the gun and pull it into his mouth and pull the trigger 
Now it isn't as like bloody as what had happened in the ready cut, which, which from what it sounds like. Mm-hmm. But everything is there, so it's not confusing. Like last time, um, just pretty much just with the blood removed, um, and I think a few extended shots here and there. That's really about it between the two of them. Yeah, I mean, I th- I thought this movie's runtime because it's longer than the other ones. It's like about an hour forty something. Mm-hmm. I felt like this movie was probably a little too long because yeah. after a certain point, I was just kind of ready to wrap it up because this really was dragging it out. And it's like almost like they were seeing how many movies they could rip off and just compile into one film. Mm-hmm. Oh, these are just like a couple miscellaneous things I have to say. Why does Kim's college have lockers? Do colleges have lockers? None that I've been I, to. I don't know. Maybe maybe <laughs> they do. I just, um, I didn't I mean, get that. Yeah, I haven't exactly been to a college that has one of those. Usually there's a dorm room for that, but <laughs> maybe maybe they do. I, I, I don't know. Yeah, I got to say also the score is probably my least favorite of the trilogy. Just isn't I saying mean, much. Yeah, you're also, I mean, that's not really saying a whole lot either. Um I would say because yeah, you're right. I do think this is probably the worst of them all, but we also didn't have very good scores to begin with with these movies. So I would say that you know, at least in my eyes, yes, it is the worst. But I mean, not much competition between the three of them either. So yeah, I mean, at least we had that like really cool song that it wasn't actually mm-hmm. composed for the film, but in the second one. Um, yeah, if you remember true. what I'm talking about, I'm like, this is probably ha- is better than it has any right to be thanks to that song. Um, but this one, when he is escaping into the sewers, there is some song playing and it's really bad. It is just bizarre and I hate it. I don't remember mm-hmm. what it is, but I don't like it. Um, no, no, I'm not. Nope. Okay, never mind. I was thinking maybe it was a song at the beginning. No, no, the song at the beginning after the cold open is from a song from Glass Animals. Um, hmm. That's a different song. That's when it's playing over like the opening credits when it's showing off LA like three or four hundred times. Hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, different song. But yeah, no, you're right. The song when he hops into the uh, the sewers to escape. Nah, yeah, I wasn't a very big fan of that one either. Um, I like Glass Animals. Um, it's too bad that they're tied to this movie. <laughs> um, yeah. But all around, the music choices were either good, either fine, like Glass Animals, or mm-hmm. they were like, uh huh. Um, I guess the only, the, like the last thing that I really have to say is um, just to go off, just to further drive home the uh, Mission Impossible point or the highest point of this is when they have to infiltrate Melenkov's building. And it's that really cliche where they explain all the security of the building while we watch them infiltrate it. That's been done to death. And oh yeah, I never like that yeah. in any movie, honestly. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And really, the, uh, there isn't much of a plan per se either. Um, they just, they swap the two of them out after killing the guards, obviously. They swap the two of them out so Brian can go upstairs and then just murder everybody, right? That That's the plan, <laughs> right? The plan is for Brian just to kill everybody. Yeah, um, pretty much. So them talking, also <laughs> Malenkov, who is a, you know, really rich and powerful guy who has a penthouse of his own, who has to have two security guards, talk to two other security guards on the floor above. Yeah. So that way they know who's entering 
the elevator and has security cameras that are constantly being managed. In reality, it's only a handful of people um, that are guarding Malenkov and easily taken out by Brian. Um, I thought that was kind of funny too. Yeah, uh, yeah, he had those two guards. And I think this movie, one of the other reasons I think it kept my interest as long as it did is because they're kind of taking the Friday the 13th approach where the killer isn't going to just use the machete or in this case, the handgun. But Brian gets very creative with how he kills people. He uses that defibrillator to basically mm -hmm. shock these people's hearts and kill them. He uses a car as a weapon. Um, I like when he is kind of doing this infiltration style thing up on the top floor. Now, in a in the hands of a more competent director, this would have been fantastic as like a one shot of him just straight up demolishing everybody, you know, Punisher style and whatnot. Um, these right. these guys are like wearing really colorful clothes, like they just time ported off the set of Scarface for some <laughs> reason. Yeah. And they all have like very distinct colors to them. But yeah, when Brian uses that one guy's gun while he's still holding it to shoot the other guy with the machine gun and just destroys him. It's really violent in the unrated cut, but it's like, it's actually really effective. It's, it's really good, um, mm -hmm. where he goes with that. But, um, yeah. And I gotta say, the end of this movie is just so stupid. Um, and my wife was like, I don't know if, if Kim's pregnant anymore <laughs> after all she went through. Um, yeah. And here's, yeah. this is a quote of what my, what my, um, wife said. Uh, Kim's like, and if it's a boy, my wife said, and if it's a boy, then we'll name him Liam Jr. Because <laughs> my uh, wife couldn't remember his name was Brian. She kept calling him Liam. And so she said he'd be yeah. Liam yeah. Jr. <laughs> we'll call him Liam Jr. That's good. What a, what a watery ending to this very high yeah. octane movie. It's really out of character. It's very let down. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, it's, it's weird because again, you know, it's one of those things where, uh, Kim's baby doesn't really have much to do with the story anyways. Um, and then, so when it ends, he's like, yeah, whatever you guys decide, I'm cool with this. <laughs> Essentially, what he decides, what he says. Um, and it's... Yeah, you're right. It's kind of like a... Okay, it's an in interesting ending to a trilogy. Um, yeah. Whatever. Yeah, and you know, um, like in the end of The Born Identity, there is that like um, pull wide pull-out shot but it's mm -hmm. but it's to that fantastic um song from the movies yeah. and it's slow and then it goes like really fast and cuts to black and goes into the credits this is just one of the worst pullouts i've seen i mean probably on par with that really awful ugly aerial shot from the end of the force awakens when ray is standing there and trying to give luke that lightsaber oh yeah <laughs> yeah yeah this aerial shot it's like why did you do that um yeah I don't know. I, I'm Alan. Are you ready? Ready to? I'm ready. Okay. Well, Alan, I think this one actually could swing both ways. What is your rating and recommendation for Taken Three? Oh boy, <laughs> uh, I'm glad I got to return to this. So glad. Um, it's not as great as some of these so bad that it's good movies that are out there, but it is most definitely a contender. Um, for one of like. Not my favorites, but at least one that I'm just like, have you seen Taken 3? You should watch Taken 3. Uh, one of those kinds of movies. I don't know if you necessarily even need to see the second one before you watch the third one. There's not much. There's like a drop line here or there, but 
That aside, Taken 3 is a, more or less a disaster, um, but in all of the best ways. Um, it has its moments where it slows down a bit too much for it to be not so like high octane, this is so bad that it's amazing, um, where it just kind of goes into, eh, can we just move on, please? But it has, it has its moments where it's absolutely amazing mostly with the character of Brian and how he has his magical power of just showing up someplace um, or somehow escaping from a, an, a situation where he should have died, right? So at the end of the day, Taken 3 is absolutely incredible. I, I love it very, very much. And it's so bad that it's, it's great. Um, so I'm going to give this a 1 out of 10, but it's most <laughs> definitely a recommend for me. Oh, gosh. <laughs> If Taken 1 and 2 are rip-offs of the Bourne movies, then Taken has reinvented itself into ripping off the Fast and Furious franchise, and to some extent, I think that's a smart move. The first two films utterly exhausted the kidnapping, international thriller elements. So to up the ante by having his ex-wife, whom he was rekindling a relationship with, be forever taken in this life adds an even higher level of stakes. I like the film remains in Los Angeles. The action is adrenalizing. The unrated cut can go into hard R territory with the violence and language. This really is taken like we've never seen it before. Now, all of that said, this movie really is so bad it's good. In fact, it's hilariously bad. The heart-pounding action isn't enough to override this soap opera plot. This third installment doesn't need to be as long as it is, and that's possibly due to this extended cut, but believe it or not, this is one I'll return to. If I want an over-the-top popcorn flick, which I have missed as it mostly disappeared in the last decade, this movie is so much fun to watch even if that editing is about one cut per second, but even that can be funny in and of itself. I do think this is the weakest in the franchise. There is a drop in quality from the second and a serious drop from the first, but I had so much fun with this ridiculous mashup between Scarface, Fast and Furious, Mission Impossible, The Fugitive, Batman Begins. It's literally just trying to take the most popular movies from the 90s and 2000s and just make it into one movie. Um... I'm not saying this is a great movie or even a good movie. It's a technically absurd movie. But if you enjoy action movies that are light on plot continuity, then I think you'll enjoy this one too. So, believe it or not, Taken 3 receives 6 stars out of 10 with a mild Whoa. with a mild recommend. <laughs> Whoa. Okay. We both recommended it. Yes. There is that. <laughs> We both recommended it, and I guess on some level, I would agree with your rating, Alan. I definitely would agree with that. This is like a one-star, like two-star type movie. It's like Troll 2. It's like Birdemic. Well, I think it's, well. a, it's a little bit. Okay. Okay. Sorry. I take it back. In this, in this, I would say, I would argue it's in the spirit of those movies, but not quite on the same level. Those are... Those are bad. We, are, we have a review for Bird to Make, actually. That's true. Um, <laughs> yeah. Those are special cases. All right. I agree. But, you know, I will say I was at least glad that I had so much fun with this movie. Whereas I was worried I would just go in and just kind of find it miserable. Just so utterly terrible. But I really didn't. I really found this movie to just be hilariously 
bad, like so bad it's good. Thankfully, it is one of those movies. I will say it's probably on par with the second one. I think the second one is more competent, but I think the third one is more fun. And I think the first one yeah. overall is clearly the best, I would say. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. The first one is by far the best. I didn't think it was super amazing. Like I remember it being, but it's still by far the best, most competent film of the three. Um, then two happened and two is just kind of boring. You know, I'll be honest with you. And it's just a complete mess. And then three is somewhat of that same kind of mess, but to a completely absurd degree. That's what makes it fun. So do we want to give our rankings for uh, the, for the Taken Trilogy? I, I think I know where it's going to go. Um, yeah, yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Okay. All right. So my rankings are actually going to be one, three, and two. Okay. I'm debating if I, okay, if I were, I guess I can put this in two different ways. Which one would I more be more likely to grab first? Three. Yeah. Which one's the better film? One. So depending on what mood I'm in, um, it could go three, one, two, where I want to just watch a, a, just a hilarious film. Or it could go one, three, two, where I want to watch one because it does have better action or better filmed action. And is a more competent film. So those are the two ways that I would go. Um, but two is at the very bottom of the list. No doubt about it. Yeah. And, you know, I, I agree with you. I was almost considering that as well, because if I just want to watch a Taken movie, I'm probably going to pick up the third one because it's all the characters, but it's just honestly so much more fun than the first one. The first mm -hmm. one is far more competent in its storytelling in its technical aspects and whatnot but um at the same time i think it's a better film so i'll go off of that just for that i don't think the second one is bad but it's just like i said kind of needless it's kind of unnecessary it's more so this is the way i put it last time just dlc it's really mm -hmm. like if you so in my mind, there's really only taken one and three, but if you really just want a little extra for that first story, go ahead and you'll get taken two. But um, yeah, so it looks like our, uh, uh, let me update this real quick. So I gave it a six. Oh, I'm curious. And you, you gave it a one. Oh my gosh. Yep. So giving, okay. So your, um, your average for the first two movies was a five out of 10. Now that you've given this a one, it dropped it all the way down to an average uh, rating of three out of 10. That's about right. <laughs> but it should be noted, this is the only movie in the franchise you have recommended. Even though you gave it a one. That's true. I didn't think about that. That's true. That's so interesting to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you didn't recommend the first one. You gave it a six. You didn't recommend the second one. You gave it a three. You just straight up didn't like that at all. And then this mm -hmm. one, yeah, it's, it boomeranged around from a one to so bad it's good. It boomeranged all the way around. For me, mine's a little more boring at seven and then two sixes. So mine's just six out of 10. Mild recommend for the entire trilogy. I think you can gotcha. have fun with it. If you don't like these kind of movies, then you're not going to like this one, like the trilogy at all. But I think this is just a really 
fun trilogy, you could probably just go along with it. So ridiculous. Oh, yeah. And this this trilogy goes a long way, right? From beginning from one, ending at three. There's a lot different between those two. And like I said, you could probably honestly skip two completely almost and just go from one to three. There's like maybe a drop line here or there about something about Istanbul. But I mean, it's not like it's like that important to the plot anyways. So either way, my point is that this this trilogy has come a long way. Only being, <laughs> what is it? It came it started in 2009, so what, five-ish years old? Mm-hmm. It's come yep. a long, five or six years old, but it's come a long way from that first Taken movie to ending on this note. Very different, very different in quality, but it has come a long way. I do want to note that, you know, even though critics, like, overall hated this franchise, the, the franchise in total grossed $929 million dollars that close to being a billion dollar franchise over these three movies Mm -hmm. so clearly audiences were just crazy about them yeah i know that overseas i think most of its money came from um all the foreign markets because this is this is a primarily a a french property yeah um so it's more uh i guess it's it's more popular maybe over there because it didn't do so well um here in the states now it's not compared to what it did overseas so yeah most of his money was from those foreign markets yeah and you know alan talked about this in his guide for taken three but this is the worst grossing domestically but it's actually the best grossing in the foreign markets so right there you go but exactly it is kind of funny because um the average critic score on rotten tomatoes is like perfectly in line with alan's average rating um it's a 31 (laughs) percent oh but the Rotten Tomatoes audience score is perfectly in line with my average rating at a 60%. Fair enough. So Alan is more in line with the critics. I'm a man of the people, apparently. <laughs> um, <laughs> as far as the average IMDb score, it's a 6.7 and an average letterboxed of 2.7. Ooh. And, a, and an average meta score of 41. So pretty, pretty weak. Yeah, so all across, I mean, so far, all across the board, nothing is really too hyped about Taken and its sequels. No, just that box office is what it's got to boast Mm -hmm. with. So now that we've reviewed it, we've talked about it, we've ended this series, is Taken 3 going to be a pickup or pass? I can't wait to pick this one up. (laughs) I don't want to play, I don't want to pay very much money for it, though. I will say that I would okay. not pay full price, but I can't wait to add it to the collection and just pop it on once in a while because it's so much fun. Well, I can tell you exactly how much I paid for this movie. Let me pull it up real quick. Oh, no. <laughs> so I did buy this movie. I, I bought it primarily for this for us to review it. Um, I paid $15 for it. So Ooh. it's a bit more than I would like to spend on it. But if I hadn't gotten it for this review... I most definitely would be picking it up because I watched, like I said, I watched it back in college, but I I haven't touched it since then. Like it's been a while. It's been a number of years since about the time it was released that I haven't seen this movie. So I would like to watch it again before I would buy it. Now that I have, (laughs) of course I bought it before I watched it again, but that's a different story. Um, I absolutely would go back and I would purchase Taken 3, just like you, Corbin. This is one that I absolutely adore. Um, in many, many ways. 
Nice. So, Corbin, now that we have talked about if we would pick it up, is there anything that you would recommend after watching Taken 3? Yeah, I'm I'm going to recommend everything that the other movies that this one has ripped off. But this one I haven't mentioned yet is John Wick Chapter 3. There's some similarities here. I think some of the John Wick, the John Wick films have kind of taken, um, taken what Taken has done and they've just made them better. So if you kind of want to see the Taken trilogy, but done right, I would say, then check out the John Wick trilogy, especially John Wick 3, more closely tying in with this one. So I was going to recommend this last time, but then I decided to hold back. Um, last time I, re- I recommended, I think I recommended like the transporter. Yeah. Um, this time I'm going to recommend the transporter refueled, oh. which I think is by the same director, Oliver Megaton, if I'm not mistaken, or it has a lot of the same people who worked on it at least. No, it's the same one. Yeah. Okay. A very similar film. <laughs> um, I, I'm trying to remember if it's so bad that it's good. It, I watched that one around the same time as this, so it's been a while. But I remember it being pretty incredible on a good number of the scenes. So if you like what you saw here, maybe you would like Transporter Refueled. Yeah, I uh, gotta say, I kind of want to do a Transporter series now that you have brought it up a couple times. And if it's anything like this, I think we could have fun with it as well. Mm-hmm. So it looks like this isn't... It, this was not actually the end for Taken. It looks like in uh, 2017, the TV show came out. Yeah. Uh, are, how many seasons were there of the show anyways? Now I'm looking at two, I guess. I guess there are two seasons. Uh, it hasn't been renewed since 2018. <laughs> I think it's done. But it at least has <laughs> two seasons um, of a TV show. I'm kind of curious to know what that's about. So I was really going to try and watch this during our reviews or at least before them. It was on Hulu at a time and it was on Mm -hmm. Netflix once and now it's nowhere. It's not streaming anywhere at this point. I could not find it anywhere. I considered buying it. I think you can. I think it's an international release on Blu-ray. I don't know, but didn't want to get that invested because I still have to finish Terminator Sarah Connor Chronicles and the Jason Bourne TV show Treadstone. So I didn't want to commit to that quite yet. Um, I really would like to watch it because the guy who plays Brian Mills, Clive Standen, I really like him from the TV show Vikings. Um, I'm curious to see his take on the character. I think it's kind of a prequel from what I understand. But um, yeah, premiered in February 27th, 2017. And then it looks like it came to an end June 30th, 2018. But that's one I'll be checking out eventually. So there might be a review for that on here in the future. All right, listeners. Well, the question of the show is, is Taken 3 better than Taken 1? Maybe not in the same way as uh, competency, but maybe an enjoyment factor. That's the question. All right, well, Corbin, thank you for joining me. Sure thing. All right, listeners, we'll see you next week with the return of Godzilla King of Monsters. We're getting back into that retrospective to build up to Godzilla versus King Kong um, coming out the week after that, or at least releasing um, for us the week after that. So we'll see you then, listeners.
Hey listeners, it's Corbin. Don't forget to check out the exciting links in the description below that will connect you with more great movie reviews for your listening pleasure and our YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter page. And of course, our official website where you can read great articles and sign up for our free weekly newsletter. Also, if you want exclusive bonus content such as extra movie reviews, movie commentaries, and our thoughts on the latest movie news and trailers, plus more, then check out our Patreon page. It's a great way to help keep this show free, and it gives you great content that's yours to keep. All of that and more is found in the description below. Don't forget to subscribe whether you're on YouTube, Apple, Google, or Stitcher, or your favorite podcast service. And while you're at it, please leave us a five-star review so other movie lovers can more easily find our podcast. We love talking about movies, and we love talking about them with you. So don't forget to share with your friends and family, and we'll see you next week, listeners. The Silver Screen Guide podcast is edited and produced by Alan and Corbin. Intro and outro music is created by Thomas Rankin. The thoughts and opinions herein expressed are those of the individual and do not necessarily represent those held by Silver Screen Guide. Silver Screen Guide is not affiliated with any company or individual involved with the creation of this movie or TV show. No portion of the podcast may be used without express written permission from Silver Screen Guide. Yeah, I yeah, you bring up a good point, right? Because when it's all said and done, this is all Stewart's doing, right? He ends up getting what he paid for in the very end of the story uh, when he had Lenore killed because he needed to pay off his debt, right? Um, or try, try to get the guy who would he who he would have owed <laughs> debt to. to get, doesn't matter. Either way, um, it is. Now I forgot what I was saying. Great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What, what uh, are they talking about? Oh, yeah. Convoluted plot. Yeah. Okay. <laughs>